Well, good morning. I hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, you probably overate as I did, uh, and that was awesome. Unfortunately, I didn't get to enjoy my favorite Thanksgiving tradition, and that's watching the Dallas Cowboys lose on Thanksgiving. They actually won. Sam, I know you're probably pretty excited about that, right? Uh, but anyway, I hope you had a, just a wonderful Thanksgiving. But this morning, as you're probably already getting your mind set toward the Christmas season, we're not quite there yet. We will next week. Come back next week. We're really excited about launching into our Christmas season. We'll have a special Christmas series as we celebrate one of the most spectacular, magnificent, miraculous events in human history. God eternal putting on human flesh and making His dwelling among us. But today we want to finish up our series, our mini-series in, in the section of Acts that we've been covering. And the, the title of this series has been called Outcasts and Enemies. We've seen, we've seen that the gospel is actually expanding as pressure, as persecution, and as challenges are coming upon the church. The gospel is actually going out. And we've seen that there have been outsiders that have been coming to faith in Jesus. Last week we saw an Ethiopian eunuch who was looking for hope. He was a, a worshiper of the God of Israel, but he did not know about the good news about Jesus and Philip. One of the seven chosen to serve met that man on the side of the road. It was a divine appointment. And through the message of Philip, he led him to Jesus so that he was baptized in that moment and received eternal life. We've also been seeing that groups of people uh, called the Samaritans, outsiders, those that were at odds with the Jewish people, they came to faith in Jesus, welcomed into the family of God as they heard the good news about Jesus. And so if you remember back in the beginning of chapter 8, there was intense persecution that was coming upon the church. And in that moment, you'd think, well, goodness, this movement, this gospel movement could get shut out. But what we actually saw was that it was a part of God's plan because the people there in Jerusalem, except for the apostles, they were scattered around the region. And as they went, they were proclaiming the good news about Jesus. This gospel can't be stopped. But today, we come to a place in this passage. Because this isn't just about outcasts and outsiders. The series we've been talking about is Outcasts and Enemies. And we're going to see this morning that one of the greatest enemies to the Christian faith is not beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? And it's awesome. It's an amazing, amazing experience that we see here from Saul. And if you're not familiar with Saul, you may have heard of the apostle Paul, the same man. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Greek name. And so as his name you'll see in the book of Acts will change from Saul to Paul, not because his name changed, but because he's going out into the Gentile world. And that's what he's known as in the Gentile world as Paul. Same person. But in this moment, we see one of the greatest enemies of the faith come to uh, save, uh, greatest enemies of the gospel come to saving faith in Jesus. But as we, as we think about this for a moment, let's, let's think about Paul's past. Saul's past. And we're going to take a look at that in just a moment, but I want, I want you to think about your past. Your past. Now, I, I don't know about you, but there's some things that have happened in, in my life that I would love to be able to know that somebody has invented a time machine, right? Time machine would just kind of like come out of the floor right now, and I could get into that time machine, and I could go back in time, and if I could give, uh, be given one opportunity to change anything that has happened in my past, boy, what, what would I even choose? I don't know, but what an opportunity that would be, right? 
Wouldn't you love to do that? I mean, think about, think about your past. What, what's something that, maybe not even in your lifetime, what's something that's even happened just over the last week that you could go back and say, if I could do it over again, I would love to change that part of my story. And I wonder, why didn't God just do that for us, right? Why didn't God give us that opportunity to get into his, you know, Holy Spirit time machine and go back in time and change something about our past? Because if you're like me, my past is full of sin and brokenness and hurt and pain. There's a lot of good stuff there too, but there's a lot of brokenness, right? Can we go back and change the past? And that leads us into our big idea this morning. God didn't change Saul's past, but he repurposed Saul's past. And this is our big idea this morning. Jesus takes ugly pasts and gives them beautiful purposes. Jesus takes ugly pasts and gives them beautiful purposes. Don't you love it? Jesus takes your past, all the ugliness, all the brokenness, like he's doing for Saul here, and he's giving him a new, beautiful, transformed purpose for his life. So let's take a look at the story here this morning. The first thing we see is Saul's ugly past. And, and in order to do this, we really ought to go back and take a look again at chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. So if you have your Bibles open with your device or, uh, or if a print Bible, uh, you're welcome to follow along. It says in Acts 8, 1 uh, through 3, and I'm actually going to skip uh, verse 2, it says, Saul approved of his execution. If you've been with us, you know that execution was of Stephen, a great proclaimer of the good news about Jesus. Saul oversaw his execution. Saul approved of it. And there arose on that day, the day of Stephen's execution, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Verse 3 of Acts 8 says, But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He's ravaging the church. He's going into people's private homes. He's not just stopping preaching publicly. He's actually going into private gatherings of believers together and dragging people off and putting them in prison. And we see that picked up again after this story. We got a little like sidebar about Philip, but now we're back to focusing on this persecution. And we saw it this morning in, in uh, verses 1 through 2 of chapter 9. It says, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he went, found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You see, it wasn't just good enough for Saul to actually arrest the people in Jerusalem. He had to be sent on a commission to go far away to Damascus to track down more people who were followers of Jesus, to put them in prison and to persecute them. He wanted to snuff this movement out. Now, Saul's not a criminal, though. As you look at this past, he's not a criminal. He's doing everything according to the law uh, under the leadership, the Jewish leadership that was overseeing uh, his, his region. Uh, in fact, he's religiously zealous. He's not just some guy that's doing this as a vigilante like Batman or something like that. No, he's actually doing this by commission. He has a religious 
zeal that led him to persecute Christians. He is part of the group that we would call, because we, uh, we know from some of his writings and his letters, that he was a Pharisee. One of those belonging to the, the leaders who were committed, more committed than anybody else, to the Old Testament scriptures, to the Hebrew Bible, to the law of Moses. He was strict about this, extremely strict. He's very religious. He was no criminal. And he studied under some of the greatest rabbis in the region. But yet he was still, his religion had led him not to love, but his religion led him to breathe threats and murder against the disciples. And we saw back in chapter 8 that he oversaw Stephen's murder. You see, Saul, he believed in his heart that what he was doing by persecuting God's people was actually done for God. Well, he believed he was persecuting Jesus' people, but he was doing it in the name of God. He believed that that Jesus was a heretic. He believed that all of his followers were heretics. And so he was persecuting the people of Jesus in the name of God. He believed that he was closer to God through his zeal, his passion for the law, but really he was far from God and ignorant, very, very ignorant about it. He rejected the Son of God. And he persecuted his people. In fact, we're going to see it a little bit later, but Saul described his state here, his ugly past, and he says this about himself. I was the chief of sinners. I was the chief of sinners. He believed in his religious zeal that he was doing great works for God. But as we see in this encounter today, God had something to do with this ugly past. Well, how does this past get changed? We see that in the next passage, uh, verses 3 through 9. Saul meets Jesus. Saul meets Jesus. I love here in in verse 3, it says that Saul's going along and, and he's approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. I mean, this is This is miraculous. This is intense. And this light took him off guard and it was so glorious and so bright that it caused him to fall to the ground. And then he hears this voice. Listen to this voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Friend, this is an amazing question from Jesus. He he, he talks to Saul in his risen state. He talks to Saul and he's going to say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my followers? That's not what he says. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Friend, it's in this question that we could see that Jesus is close to his followers. He identifies with his persecuted family all over this world. Friend, if you're feeling under the weight of persecution or uh, feeling the weight of pressure because of your faith in Jesus, know that he stands with you. He stands with you. Those who are persecuted today, I love Pastor Hang. He's always bringing another country to to, uh, our prayer meetings as a staff. And he says, we got to pray for this country. We have brothers and sisters. We have family who are suffering in places like Afghanistan and Somalia and, and North Korea. Places all over the world that are suffering for their commitment to Jesus. And I believe Jesus is right there saying, as they persecute you, they're persecuting me. I am with you. I identify with you. I have not left you and I have not forsaken you. What hope Jesus gives to those that are hurting. 
And Saul asked the questions, well, well, who are you, Lord? I could see this bright light. I could hear this voice. And you say that I'm persecuting you. How in the world could I be doing this? Who are you? And Jesus answers, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, I don't know about you, but in this moment, if I'm Saul, I am terrified. I am absolutely terrified terrified because I realized this Jesus that was crucified, this Jesus that supposedly came out of this tomb, though I'm not willing to receive it, this Jesus that everybody is following and and, and he has all these people who are going after him, this Jesus now is standing right in front of me. This, this Jesus that, that I have stoned his followers, I've been imprisoning his followers, and now I'm standing face to face with this not suffering Jesus, but this glorious, bright, awesome vision of Jesus. This is no suffering Jesus that Saul sees. This is the glorious. This is the risen. This is the majestic Jesus. And the Jesus he sees and the Jesus he hears is powerful. And you, you, know, you know what this is like a little bit, right? Just to be blown away by brightness. You know, you've gone to a movie, right? A matinee movie. And you go into that theater and it's super, super dark. And you're sitting in there for several hours. And then you go out that side door because you don't want to walk through the lobby, right? And you open the door and maybe it's summertime and it's midday. And you're like, whoa, that brightness. It almost feels like it wants to knock you over, right? You've been there. I probably get a glare off of my head, right? And I got family that's looking at me, oh, it's double glare, right? But intensify that. Here's here's Saul seeing this bright, glorious light. He falls to the ground and he realized that the source of this light is not the sun in the sky, but the Son of God that is standing right before him. Intense brightness. And he hears this voice. What would be going through your mind if you were Saul? I think I'd be asked, I think I'd be telling myself, I, I'm done for. <laughs> I am done for. All the things that I've done to him and his followers, what is he going to do to me? Verse 6 is absolutely amazing. Chapter 9, verse 6 says, Jesus talks to Saul and he says, But rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. This, this conjunction, this word but, it's one of the strongest contrastive words that we have in, in Greek. And it's this idea that I am Jesus, you've been persecuting me, but I've got a purpose for you, Saul. I've got a purpose for you. Saul deserves to be punished. Saul deserves death. Saul deserves to be consumed by the brightness of the the holiness and the glory of Jesus is standing right in front of him. He deserves death. Jesus has the opportunity to take revenge on enemy number one in the world. That is Saul, this religious zealot who's persecuting his people. All of that Saul deserves. But, but the mercy and love and grace that Jesus displays in this moment to his earthly enemy is overwhelming. Paul, excuse me, Saul, he has an ugly past, but Jesus has a purpose for him in his ugly past. 
He's got a great and beautiful purpose for Saul. Friends, this is, this is a great, beautiful picture of the immense mercy and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus. There isn't anything that you could do standing for Jesus if you call upon his name and if he's called you today, today is the day of salvation, you could hear that beautiful word, word but I've got a different future for you. Because of your sin and my sin, we deserve death. We deserve punishment. We deserve to be consumed before the one before whom we stand. He's holy. He's righteous. But the good news of the gospel says, but I've got a different purpose for you. No matter what you've come in here with today, whatever ugly past you have, Jesus is standing and saying, but I've got different plans for you. Would you come and follow him today? So what did Saul do? Saul goes and he listens to Jesus and he goes in and these guys that are with him, they help him. And for three days, he's without sight. And he, he didn't eat. He didn't drink. What is Saul doing? He's fasting. He's praying. He's hoping, oh, I hope I'm not going to be killed here now. I've seen the true Lord of glory. He's waiting for the Lord's deliverance because Saul, you see, he's seen such the bright glory of Jesus, he can no longer see physically any longer. And he's waiting for deliverance. But the irony of this is that it's in his blindness physically that he is beginning to truly see for the first time. He's praying, he's waiting, he's fasting because he's seen something that he's never seen before. He was blind, see, when he was opposing Jesus spiritually. But now that he's seen Jesus, he's really seeing reality for the first time. And so he's waiting. We come to the third part of our story, verses 10 to 19, and it says that Saul's eyes get opened. Saul's eyes get opened because of the mercy of Jesus. And, and what does Saul encounter? He encounters a man that's living in Damascus, a follower of Jesus named Ananias. And he was called by Jesus. Jesus knocks on Ananias' door. Not really. He speaks to Ananias. And he says, I've got a, I've got a job for you, Ananias. Now, Ananias hears that, that, uh, that he's supposed to go, according to Jesus' order, to a street called Straight and find this guy, Saul. And he's thinking to himself, what are you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> are, are you serious? Uh, and I'm sure I, I, I probably would have been a little bit disrespectful. Jesus, you've got to be kidding me. I'm supposed to actually find this guy, this guy that's looking for me and wants to kill me, and you want me to go find him? This, this can't be for real. You see, Ananias had heard Saul's reputation. Ananias was very aware of Saul's ugly past. But I love what verses 14 to 15 say. Uh, verse 15 says, The Lord said to Ananias, Go, for Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. Jesus had a bigger purpose despite Saul's ugly past. Saul was to be Jesus' instrument. Saul was to be Jesus' vessel Saul was to be Jesus' jar that would carry the precious cargo of the gospel of Jesus to new places. The same Saul that was trying to snuff out this movement would actually be the carrier of the good news, of the good news to places all over the Roman world. And he would not only preach, no, 
But Jesus tells Ananias, I've got other plans for him as well. Not only is Saul going to preach, but he's also going to be willing to be persecuted for my name's sake, Ananias. He's going around all over the place thinking that he's being religiously obedient and zealous to go and chase down people to snuff out my movement, to snuff out my gospel, and he can't do it, Ananias, but I'm going to transform him so much that he's going to carry my gospel and he's going to be willing to suffer for my name. What an amazing transformation. What an amazing new purpose. You see, Jesus takes ugly paths and he gives them beautiful new purposes new purposes. And so what does Ananias do? No way, Lord. You ought to just strike him down. No, I love Ananias's response. It says in verse 17 that, that, that Ananias goes to Saul. He lays his hands on him. And listen to what he says. He says, brother Saul, brother Saul, brother, brother You see, in great faith, Ananias goes and sees Saul the way that Jesus sees him. Friends, this is amazing. I mean, here's a persecutor, but yet uh, Ananias goes in with new glasses, with new lenses. Despite the ugly past, Ananias calls Saul brother. That's what Jesus does for you and for me. What happens? Saul's eyes are open, scales, something like scales falls, and, and what does he see? He sees Ananias. He sees someone that he'd been sent to capture who was now his closest friend. Now was his healer. And and this would be the one who would baptize Saul and send him on a new journey. Friends, this is amazing. The scales fall from Saul's eyes and he sees I belong to a new family through Jesus. I love the old hymn. You know it well. We sing it all the time. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound, brother Saul. Oh, that's a sweet sound. You mean I'm in the family now? Who's that saved a wretch, a wretch like me? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, Saul says, but now I see. He is the Lord of glory. What a moment. What a moment. And Saul quickly says, I'm willing, I'm going to jump in both feet. As zealous as he was for the law and persecuting Christianity, he's now flipped around and he's putting all his zeal into following Jesus. He gets baptized. There's no confusion here any longer. Saul now sees more fully than ever the God he had claimed to worship. He identifies with Jesus and now he has a new path. Saul has a new purpose that redefined and repurposed his ugly past. We get to the fourth point, and we'll move through these quickly. Saul, the persecutor, becomes Saul, the preacher. What does Saul then begin doing in Damascus? He he doesn't even go back to Jerusalem. He's in Damascus. What does he do? Verse 20 says, he immediately proclaimed in the synagogues, this Jesus, I'm telling you, he is, not might be, could be, he is the Son of God. Amazing. What a transformation. What a turnaround. Verse 21, the people are asking, isn't this the guy who was making havoc in Jerusalem upon everybody who called upon the name of Jesus? What's happening here? Now, I I don't know about you, I I, I love some of those shows that are those hidden camera shows, right? Back in the day, they were uh, candid camera, right? Uh, And more recently, we've had shows like Punked, right? You get tricked into into seeing something and, and you get tricked, right? Somebody's playing a prank on you. I can imagine these guys are like, is there a hidden camera somewhere here? Is this the same Saul? Is he, is he trying to trick us now? No hidden cameras. There are no tricks. 
This Saul has been truly transformed from an ugly past, and he's been given a new, beautiful purpose. Followers of Jesus had been forced into hiding because of him, but now he was the one who was on the run, as we see in the next few verses. Saul actually, because he's now proclaiming and preaching, he creates some enemies of his own who want to say, we got to shut this guy up now. And so he escapes through a basket. You see, the transformation was so radical for Saul that he was once the persecutor, but now he's the one that's being persecuted for the name of Jesus. And so Saul leaves Damascus, and he heads down the road, and he goes to Jerusalem. And we see in the fifth part of our story that Saul the foe becomes Saul the friend. You remember in Jerusalem, we, we saw in Acts chapter 8, he was entering houses and dragging people out and putting them in prison. And that's why, verse 26, that the disciples were afraid of him. They couldn't believe that this was really happening. Again, I'm sure they're looking around and saying, there's got to be a hidden camera here somewhere, right? Am I getting punked right now? <laughs> they couldn't get over his ugly past. They couldn't believe that the grace of God could be big enough. Could it really be big enough that this is really what happened, that what we're seeing it before our eyes? Could Saul really be transformed so quickly and so dramatically? And so there's a tension here. What do we do? Is this for real? And at this moment, Saul could have been sent out and said, no, 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 we, we can't take you in. Your past is too ugly. Your past is too dramatic. We just cannot accept that you could be a part of this assembly. But there's a man who stands up. There's a man who stands up whose name is Barnabas. We've seen him before. He's a man that earlier in the book of Acts was so a part of the cause of, of, this, of this Jesus movement of the way that he sold property and, and laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet to care for those who were in need. And this Barnabas shows up again. His, his name means son of encouragement. And Barnabas steps up to a Saul that's about ready to get cast out. And he puts his arm around Saul, and he says, it's time to believe that the grace of God has changed this man's past. Barnabas, just like Ananias, sees what Jesus sees. He sees a beautiful new purpose designed by God. He sees beyond Saul's ugly past. His outlook, Barnabas's outlook about Saul is informed by the grace of God toward Saul. Praise God for Barnabas's. I praise God for Barnabas's. Those that can look beyond the here and the now and they can see into someone. They can see beyond their past. They can see even beyond their present and say, there's a great future that God has for you. If it weren't for the Barnabas's in my own life, I wouldn't be standing here today. I've had some great men and women that have spoken into my life when I was at my lowest and they said, the grace of God is greater than your circumstance today. Amen. Praise God for Barnabases. Have you ever had a Barnabas in your life that saw past through all the ugliness of your past and says, God's got a great future for you. He could repurpose your past. Well, Saul's brought into the assembly <laughs> and then he goes out and he's, verse 29 says, he's disputing, he's debating, he's teaching and, and arguing with Hellenists. These were Greek-speaking Jews. This was the same group that Stephen had been debated with. They, these were the same group of people that had initiated Stephen's murder, and now they wanted to kill Saul. We've come full circle, friends. Isn't that amazing? Saul is going and he's doing the exact same thing that Stephen had been doing. The same Stephen that Saul had killed because of his religious zeal. 
What an amazing story. What an amazing turnaround. Saul, the persecutor, now identified with Jesus. Saul now was identified with his spiritual family, beginning with Ananias. Saul was identified now with the apostles. Saul now identified identified himself even with Stephen, the one who was stoned. What had begun as a great persecution of the church, we see in verse 31, now under Saul, because of his transformation, resulted in peace and the spread of the good news of Jesus. God takes an ugly past and he gives it a beautiful purpose. That's our big idea this morning. So what Jesus does for Saul. He takes ugly pasts and he gives them beautiful purposes. So we've looked at the story, but, but what are, what's something that we can learn from Paul's conversion story? What can we learn from this? Several things if you'd like to write these down. If not, you email me. I can send you the notes, okay? Jesus loves even his fiercest enemies. Jesus loves even his fiercest enemies. In fact, he taught this to his disciples. Luke 6, 27 to 28, uh, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now that sounds like an impossible command to obey. That sounds really, really hard. But friend, I am so encouraged. We see right in the middle of this story that Jesus practices what he preaches. Jesus does not command, uh, he does not command us to do something that he himself is not willing to do. He loves his enemies. He loves wretches like Saul. He loves people who curse him like Saul. He loves people who hate him like Saul. He doesn't love their hatred. He doesn't love their cursing, but he says, I'm going to step into your moment right here in amidst all the cursing, in amidst all the hatred, and I'm going to allow myself to die on the cross to show that I love my enemies. Friends, there's no greater love than this than the love of Jesus. And because he has loved to such great extent for his enemies, he has called us, you and me as followers of Jesus, to love in the same way. Jesus loves even his fiercest enemies. No one is so bad, so wretched, so uh, vehement, so opposite of God that they're beyond the grace of Jesus that says, I can repurpose your past for glorious purposes. Jesus loves even his fiercest enemies. What, What else can we learn about Saul's conversion story? Jesus loves even his fiercest enemies, so we can also love those with ugly pasts we too can love those with ugly pasts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 17. This is now the Apostle Paul who's writing to a group of people, a, a group of Christians in Corinth. And this is what he says, the love of Christ controls us as ministers of the good news of Jesus. God loves his enemies and so that same love controls us because we've concluded this. That one, being Jesus, has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live, might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So from now on, 
From now on, we're going to view everyone differently. We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, therefore, this Saul who was a, an enemy and had been transformed, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus the Messiah, that one is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Friends, because Jesus loves even his fiercest enemies, we can also love those with ugly pasts. We can see that because of the grace of Jesus, because it's so deep, because it's so wide, because it's so high, and because it goes so far that it can transform anyone so that they can become a new creation through faith in his name. We see people with new lenses, just like Ananias just like Barnabas did. Jesus loves and he transforms. That's how we see our fellow man. That's how we see one another. Jesus loves even his fiercest enemies. So we could see people and love people even with ugly pasts and we can trust him to repurpose our own ugly pasts. This isn't just good enough for my neighbor. I need this for myself. I've got some ugly stuff in my past. I got some ugly chapters in my life. And this is where where Saul or, or Paul, he writes about his story and he doesn't cover up his past, but he confronts it head on because he knows the grace of Jesus. He says this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, I thank him who's given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer. Though formerly, Saul says, I was a persecutor. Though formerly I was an insolent opponent. What an ugly past, amen? But, there's that word again, but I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And this is what he would die for. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save people who have their act together. No. Christ Jesus came into the world to say, save, say it with me, Sinners, sinners, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, Saul writes, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And he's just blown away in this moment. He stops and he worships. To the king of ages, Immortal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Glory to God because he changes ugly past and he turns them into glorious, beautiful purposes. Friends, we don't have to run from our pasts. We can see people with new lenses because Jesus loves even the fiercest of enemies. And that doesn't just include my neighbor. That doesn't just include my coworker or my spouse. That includes me too. And I can run right into my ugly past. And I don't have to advertise it. I don't have to go around shouting it from the rooftops. But I can say this. I am not righteous in and of myself, but I trust in the one who is righteous for me and has repurposed my life by his grace. Our big idea is this Jesus takes ugly pasts and gives them beautiful purposes. So what does this mean for Monday as we prepare to close this morning? Jesus turns ugly pasts into beautiful purposes, so there isn't any past 
in others or ourselves that we should fear. The church, you see, we need more Ananiases. We need more Barnabases. These men knew all about Saul's past, but they didn't let that stop them from welcoming Saul into the family of God. You see, our culture's impression of the church is that we are primarily judgmental. We are against this issue or we're against that lifestyle. And the impression that we can give when we only announce what we're against is that some pasts could never cut it with us. And this kind of attitude, it only undermines the gospel of Jesus. If Ananias hadn't gone to Saul, he would have never been healed, he would have never believed, he would have never been baptized, and he would never have been sent out to preach. If Barnabas had not welcomed Saul, he may have never joined the other apostles in ministry. How different would his story, Saul's story? How different would our story, the story of the gospel going to the Gentiles, be? How different would all have this been without Barnabas? Friends, you've got Saul's in your life. We have souls in this room. We have people with ugly pasts. And they and we need to encounter the grace and love of Jesus even for his enemies. But that love gets overshadowed when we run away from the ugly pasts. When all we offer is judgment, people need to see Jesus and the beautiful purposes that he has for them. Friend, be an Ananias. Be a Barnabas to the souls in your life. What else does this mean for Monday? We've also got something to learn from Saul's experience. His past was ugly. He described himself as the chief or foremost of sinners. He didn't run from his past. He saw the purpose of God in it. God had rescued him from his ugly past as an example to others. His deliverance shows others that no one is beyond the saving grace of God. Christian, this is our testimony. This is our story. Jesus, what a friend for sinners like you and me. Not that we're good, not that we're righteous, or that we've got it all together, but our stories include our ugly pasts so that others may see that Jesus is a powerful Savior. Now, this can feel a little scary, right? And it could feel a little intimidating. Certainly, we're not called to advertise all the ugliness of our past. We don't need you to lead with it, but we can't gloss over our past. Think about your past. Think about that time machine that you'd love to step into. If you could change one thing, think about your past. We ought to think about it in community with those around uh, around us. We don't have to step into a time machine. We've got the good news of Jesus that takes our ugly past and transforms them into beautiful purposes. You have a unique story. You have specific experiences that can minister to people in ways that no one else can, including the pastors and elders at this church. We need you. We need you on this team with your stories, with your experiences, with your ugly past, so that you, with your experiences, can point people to Jesus in ways that no one else can. God wants to use your story. He wants to allow you to be an example to others who experience the same failures. He wants you to be an example to those who have the same hurts that Jesus is powerful and gracious to cover all of the brokenness we experience. No time machines needed. God is the author of our stories and he includes the ugly chapters so that his grace can shine through. I just want to share with you one final story. I hope some of you can see this picture 
This is a picture of Steve Saint and, uh, and Min Kay. In January 1956, Steve Saint, who is on the right there, uh, his father and four other Protestant missionaries were massacred by Waodani Indians shortly after their plane landed in an Ecuadorian jungle. In the picture next to Steve Saint is a Waodani Indian named Min Kay, who has become one of Saint's best friends. He's also one of the men who killed his father. Since the spearing deaths of Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCauley, and Roger Udarian, many of the men's relatives had devoted their lives to helping the very people who caused their sorrow. Nate's sister, Rachel, and Jim Elliott's widow, Elizabeth, spent many years living with the Waodanis, completing the tasks of the five young missionaries. Steve Saint, who was five when his 32-year-old father was killed, spent the summers of his youth in the Waodanis village and lived in there uh, with his family in the 1990s after his Aunt Rachel died. All the other Waodani kids had relatives who were speared, he says, noting that the deadly feuds among the tribes. It made me one of them, says Steve, more than differentiating me from them. After my dad and the other men died, my mom continued praying for the people who killed them, he says. By the time I met them, I wasn't thinking of them as the people who killed my father. I was thinking of them as being the most special people in the world. I had a heritage of forgiveness from my parents, from the other four widows and from the Waodani, he says. That doesn't mean that I didn't feel the loss. That was excruciating. But that hasn't stopped him from embracing one of the men responsible for his father's death, Min Kay, who speaks neither English nor Spanish. And he's made several trips to the United States with Steve Saint. At the time, the five missionaries encountered the Waldanis on their sandbar, says Saint, spearing one another in another ending series of feuds and vendettas. That was the only way of settling disputes that they had. They were killing themselves into extinction, and that was escalating, he says. But the effect that the men's survivors had was dramatic. The most important message they heard was, on behalf of Jesus, do not spear. Because the native ways of ending feuds had not worked, and they recognized that they were in danger of all dying in the conflict, they seized on this message as an opportunity to commit themselves to peace and non-vengefulness. As a direct result, the Waodanis have grown in number from about 500 to over 2,000. Life has hard chapters, Saint says. But let God write the story. And don't judge it until you read the last chapter. An amazing story, friends, of forgiveness, of hope, of seeing that Jesus takes our ugly pasts and he gives them beautiful purposes. And I want to invite the band up as we get ready to close today. And I just want to ask you, what is it in your past that you've seen as ugly and as an obstacle to serving and loving Jesus? Maybe there's conflict even in this room with with those in our family, maybe those that are sitting across the room from one another. Oh, that we'd see that Jesus gives us glorious purposes even in the midst of our ugly pasts. And finally today, maybe you're here today and you've been coming to church. And maybe you've come today and you've thought, you know what, I'm, I'm enjoying the, the friendships here. I'm enjoying the music. I'm enjoying whatever, the, the fellowship. But you know what, I, I don't know that my past can really be overcome. The brokenness that I've felt. The things that I've done 
and the things that people have done to me. I just don't know if I could really accept this Christian thing. I want to invite you today. Take a moment and try Jesus. Try him. Try him. Friend, we saw today he could take a persecutor, an enemy of the faith in Saul, and transform his life. Friend, I'm telling you today, he could do the same for you. If you come to him, if you call upon his name, if you confess your sin and just say, Lord, my past is ugly and I'm bringing it to you that you would redeem it and give me a glorious, beautiful purpose. He's done that for you. He's done that for me. In the ugliest moment in all of human history, the Son of God hung on a tree to give us new futures. He died and he rose from the dead to give us new hope, to take our ugly past and to give us beautiful purposes. Let's pray and we'll sing. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for this story of, of Saul, this persecutor, this enemy that you turned into a friend. Father, if there's anybody here today that has never come to Jesus with their ugly past to have it transformed, I pray that you would do a mighty work, do a work in their heart that they may believe the good news of Jesus and be saved today, just like Saul, to have their eyes opened. And Father, I pray that you would send us out as we get ready to love Christ and live sent. Send us as Barnabases. Send us as Ananiases that we would see that God has great purposes even in the ugly paths around us. That we would be an example to a world not of a people that have it all together but of a people that have been rescued by the good news of Jesus. Amen.